once I slowly started feeling more confident, and I think learning my craft, understanding that, yes, I do have a creative eye, I do see things a little differently than the average person does, and I capture that. And my work doesn't have to please everybody under the sun. So it's like, you know, being more comfortable in your skill and your skin (laughs) to kind of um, confidently say who you are and what you do. Welcome to the Genius Women Podcast. I'm your host, Yulia Denisuk, a published travel photographer and writer, an entrepreneur and founder of Genius Women. Four years ago, I quit my corporate job to pursue my dreams. And today, I'm on a mission to help other women pursue their creative dreams as well. This is Genius Women, a podcast where we explore living a rich, meaningful, beautiful creative life through in-depth conversations with brave women pursuing their wildest dreams. If you're ready to put your fears and doubts to the side, go after your dreams and step into your brilliance, you're in the right place. Let's go. Today, I speak to a dear friend and a wonderful creator, Kartika Gupta. Kartika is a lifestyle, culture, and travel photographer originally from Bombay, India, now based in Chicago. Kartika is also the founder of Culturally Ours, a platform and a podcast exploring food, art, travel, and culture from around the world through retreats, narratives, stories, and conversations. Kartika left a corporate MBA career to become a photographer, and her story is one of bravery and determination to go all in once the decision was made. In this episode, Kartika reminds us how important it is to find a community and support when we're starting on a new creative path, and why building up self-worth, believing you're good enough, and calling yourself a photographer even when you don't yet believe it is one of the best things you could do for your career. This was one juicy conversation, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's go. Before we get to today's episode, I just wanted to say that if you're a new listener, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Be sure to go to geniuswomen.com slash travel and grab your free guide to getting your travel stories published. And remember, women is spelled as W-O-M-X-N. Again, you can find that free guide at geniuswomen.com slash travel. Okay, let's dive in. Kartika, I am so delighted uh, to welcome you uh, to our podcast. Kartika is a wonderful friend, a wonderful human, and I'm super excited to have you today with us in this conversation. Thank you, Yulia. I am so excited to be here. I love everything that you do, and I can't wait to get this podcast and download it and listen to all the amazing (laughs) interviews that I'm sure you've had so far. Awesome, awesome. I want to start where I always um, start these conversations, which is, tell me, what was Kartika dreaming about as a kid? (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a very interesting question. And gosh, as a kid, I was the complete brat of the house. I have an older sister and she's eight years older to me. So I was and still am the baby of the family. So for me, my whole childhood was all about having fun. I was a complete tomboy. I would climb trees with my friends. I would be more interested in playing outside than studying and doing all my homework and all that fun stuff. My sister, on the other hand, is was and is super brilliant. She's a straight-A student all throughout. And I was one of the backbenchers. <laughs> um, no way. I would have yes, never ab- absolutely. that. <laughs> absolutely. And I grew up in India. And so uh, education system is very different there. We had a class of about, oh, I would say like 50, 60, 70 kids. So imagine a room full of 60 kids. Uh, and I went to a convent school, so all girls convent school. And you have these rowdy backbenchers who would just basically get passing grades and would be more interested in fun. That was me. So I had, <laughs> growing up, I had no um, aspirations. It's not like I wanted to become a doctor or you know a lawyer or anything like that. I just wanted to have fun. Mm. And being the that um, I was like my parents had me eight years after my sister. They had all their hopes and aspirations built up on my sister, and I kind of just slipped through the cracks. So yeah, I would get like twenty ninth rank or like thirty fifth rank, and my mom, who was a teacher, would freak out. But my dad would be like, "Oh, it's okay." It's okay. You'll figure it out. Don't worry. So I was just this kid who had no worries. And I just wanted to have a good time. That was me. (laughs) That sounds amazing, actually. And I think more kids or more people in their adulthood, I wish they would remember their childhood in that way as as a kid having fun. Yeah. And it's funny. It's like now that I have kids of my own, that is so not how I am. I am this <laughs> super anal helicopter kind of parent. And I have to I have to consciously tell myself back off. Mm-hmm. This is not how you were. This is not how you grew up. So it's funny. It's like we sometimes forget. So this is a good reminder, actually. <laughs> yes. Our podcast conversations, people have told me that already. They're like therapy sessions for our guests. So. <laughs> So that's coming. Get ready. Get ready. But tell me, what was it like? You mentioned that you grew up in India, what was then known as Bombay, right? Mm -hmm. What was it like growing up there? It was fantastic. And I I feel it's fantastic now because I don't, I'm not there. I'm so far away from home. But we, Bombay is such a cosmopolitan, vibrant, loud city. You cannot help but be sucked into all that energy even if you don't do anything even if you're just standing still you soak up all the vibrations and all the energy and you just feel alive so for me Bombay has always been this epicenter of energy and doing things and exploring and having fun and eating out and just living life to the fullest Mm. and they say that Bombay is like the city of dreams because it's the financial capital of India has been for the longest time. People come to Bombay because um, they want to make something for themselves. They want to they have life. They want to earn money. They want to support their family. So there's always this influx of migrant population, people moving from all parts of India and abroad to Bombay to get that experience. 
So uh, that's how childhood for me was too. It was being surrounded by all those people. Like I said, being in a class of you know, 60 students. I had a ton of friends. I lived in a, we called a colony because my dad uh, used to work for one of the big uh, insurance companies in India. And so they would give apartments to all their employees. So we had this huge colony of, I don't know, maybe like 2000 families. So it was really spread out. Mm -hmm. And so I had friends, I had all these neighbors and friends in like life outside school. And then I had all these friends in school. So it was just a very, it was just very happy uh, community centric lifestyle. So I grew up with a lot of people around me and everybody's in everybody's face. Everybody's in everybody's <laughs> business. Everybody knows what's going on in your house, like your neighbors, that the doors are always open, at least when I was growing up, right? Mm -hmm. The doors were always open. Your neighbor's mom was, you would call her auntie, and the husband would be the uncle. And it was, even though they were not related, you would end up kind of living in your friends' homes. Food would be exchanged. The proverbial, can I get some salt? Can I get some sugar? That was all oh. normal. <laughs> oh, That's how I it was. That. I know. I know. I miss that too. Now, where I live, if I, if I see my neighbor once a week, that's a big deal. So it's a big adjustment for sure, coming from a place like Bombay to here. <laughs> I want to uh, definitely get into your journey and knowing that you now uh, are based in Chicago, how, you know, how that transition happened. But what I want to ask you first is, I'm curious, were there any... Uh, women that inspired you or impacted you in a significant way when you were growing up? So I'm going to be very biased and I'm going to say my biggest influencer in my life has been my mom. So my mom came from Chennai, which is another city in, in India, from the South. That's where I'm mm -hmm. from. She grew up in a big family. She's the, she's the eldest of seven. Uh, she went to school, not, you know, not learning or speaking English. And she got married to my dad when she was like 20. And she left everything that she knew, her family, her relatives, and moved to Bombay with my dad. And my dad had lost both his parents very young. So it was just him and his twin brother. So here's my mom coming from this huge uh, family to this solitary existence. Mm -hmm. She had to learn the language. Hindi, which is a national language of India, was not something that she knew before coming. Uh, she had to navigate a whole new city. Sure, she was educated and everything, but she just, everything was so new for her. So when I would hear stories of my parents, how they how they survived, how they lived, how, you know, my mom went from the eldest daughter of a household to the woman of the household. I'm amazed at the tenacity, the just the sheer willpower to make a life, right? And then 11 months, you know, later, my sister came. So she, when my mom was barely 21, she already had a kid. So navigating motherhood, you know, alone, uh, mm -hmm. not something that she, I think, had ever thought she would do. But it's just all these life experiences that I heard of and I learned firsthand from my mom, I would just wonder. And now, even now I wonder how she did it because when I face some of these challenges, I'm like, oh my God, my first thought always is like, what would mom have done? And then my sister too. My sister is an incredibly strong person. She's she's uh, gone through a lot in life. She's battled um, breast cancer. She's survived. So all of that stuff too for my sister just watching these two women <laughs> has been such an incredible way for me to get strengths. Of course, there are a lot of other people too, but my two, I guess, my role models 
have always been my mom, my sister. And, uh, you know, along the way came friends and, and family. I'm very close to my husband's sister. So she's also an incredibly strong person. And just her whole outlook in life is, is so refreshing that when I struggle, these are, the, these are the three people that my mind immediately goes to. It's so beautiful. And knowing you, you are an incredibly strong person as well. <laughs> and so, like, I'm, I'm seeing that thread that comes from your childhood and from observing and taking in the, mm. the role models that you were surrounded with. That's so important. And it's wonderful that you had that example yeah. in your life. It's amazing. So tell us then, so you were growing up in India and now you're in the US. <laughs> <laughs> so walk us through that path. Oh. How did that happen? Yeah, quite a journey. When I was talking about my childhood, uh, I mentioned that my mom was a teacher. And so for my both my parents, education has always been a very important part of life. My dad um, was an actuary. And he, in fact, he was one of the few actuaries that, um, at you know, when he was kind of in school and stuff, who passed all the exams from the British um, schooling system at the first go. And he he's super brilliant. Like, I think he and his brother came like second and third or something all over the world. So he's brilliant. Wow. The mathematician, just numbers for him, numbers in his head would take three seconds or less. And then my mom being a teacher. So education was very important. And one of the things my parents wanted both the girls to do was to come abroad for higher education. So my sister has a couple of degrees and so do I. <laughs> it was just one of those things that was given that as soon as we finished our undergraduate, we would be we would go abroad for our graduate studies. And I think it paved, for me, it was a little easier because my sister was already here in the US. And so um, it was almost like a given that I would follow along and I would come here for uh, my master's. How did you decide what it is that you're going to study? Um, that is a very <laughs> good question. <laughs> now, things are obviously very different, even in India now. A lot more opportunities and a lot more avenues for a, a, a person to have a career. But when I was in school, it was primarily three different paths. You could either do uh, medicine you could do law or you could do engineering. Everything else was like fluff and on the side. So given that my sister was so brilliant and she was always like the top A student, at some point expectations changed. And not just expectations, I think even I started um, enjoying school, enjoying education. And I still do. I love to learn. I would go back for another degree if I could. So once I started getting into that, you know, mindset that, hey, this is fun, this is something I enjoy, I, you know, started getting good grades, I, I got into an engineering program. So I did computer science. And so it was a de facto that, okay, since I have an engineering in computer science, I would be doing a master's in computer science. And so that is what, uh, you know, the minimum degree requirement in my household was uh, a master's degree. Uh, that, wow. that, that, there was no, there were no questions asked. It was just like, this is what you're going to do. And I, and both us girls did not fight it. It was something we both enjoyed. So I think it became a little easier as well. 
So that's how I made my way um, here to the States. My sister was, like I said, my sister was already here. She had already graduated. She was married. She was working. So at least I knew somebody. And how I got into Illinois State was just just one of those chance things. I wanted a school that was more application-based and not a lot of theory. That was not my forte. So Illinois State University was one of the schools that uh, offered a master's in applied computer science, and that was what I wanted to do. And it was also a school that had good funding, so I knew that you know I the chances for me for getting an assistantship of some sort was higher because definitely my parents couldn't afford to send me to school for two years and pay those fees as well as boarding and all of that stuff. So I had to make a conscious decision on choosing something that maybe was not the top most ranking school, but at least was a school that was good, that had a good reputation and that I could get funding to pursue this two-year degree. So that's how I made my way 8,000 miles away. (laughs) And, and you ended up pursuing an MBA, as far as I know, sometime later as well, right? Yes, yes. So like I said, if I could do another degree, I probably would. It's just, you know, where I started right after my master's, I, I got into um, the workforce, I was in corporate, I was on the IT side. And then I started getting um, pulled into the business side. And it was, a, it was a natural progression, a natural pivot. I really enjoyed it. And somewhere along the line, I, you know, I was very intrigued by this whole MBA concept. My sister has an MBA. And so, you know, I was like, oh, I wonder what that would look like. And uh, lucky for us, being in Chicago, we have two of the top schools in the country. So I actually graduated from the University of Chicago with an MBA. And it was definitely a very different experience than being in my 20s and going through school because now I was working and even the caliber of students was different. It was, it was a wonderful experience. I have no, no regrets for e- either of my degrees. Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting for me to hear you say kind of uh, what was guiding you and motivating you at the time because what I heard is that this was a natural next step and you were curious and you were interested. It's so interesting to me that there are so many different paths or so many different factors that put us on our paths because I also got an MBA. But for me, it wasn't because it was a natural progression or because I was curious. It was because I had no idea what I was supposed to do in life at that point, you know? And I looked at my options at that point too. And I was like, well, you know, I, I finished my military service at that time. And I'm like, what do I do next? I have no idea. So might as well go get an yeah. MBA. Just so many different uh, it's, ways into it. It's funny. It's so much of my childhood was this mindset or mentality of rock the boat and see what happens. And then somewhere in my 20s, it was more like, don't rock the boat. Just <laughs> hold on. Just be steady. Just follow the path. <laughs> we lose that. We lose that ability as we uh, get older, no? Yes. Yes. And now I have to say, I'm back into that uh, a rock the boat. Yes. <laughs> And don't give a damn of what happens. I'll figure out how I can. I don't even know how to swim, but I figure, you know, I'm like of the mindset that, hey, if I fall in, I know how to float, so I should be okay. (laughs) I love that. I love that so much. And I think you just really crystallized for us this whole process of becoming wiser uh, with years. Um, I don't know about that, but okay. (laughs) I think my husband will have something completely different to say about it. Actually, even let me put a finer point on it, because it's maybe not so much about becoming wiser, but become growing into your skin more. 
yeah. and, and growing more confident with years, right? Because in your 20s, you're really relying on those guideposts to tell you what your next step should be. Yeah. And then later on, and that's actually what I'm loving so much about growing older, which in our society, growing older is ridden with so many different scaries, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's For women, especially, right? right? It's a process that's uh, full of ticking bombs, let's say. Yeah. Yes. But this is one point that I really hold on to as I'm, I'm 36 right now, that I hold on to because the confidence that I'm discovering in myself and how I'm stepping into my skin. I love that. I, I I would never want to go back to my 20s when I was so unsure of myself, yeah. you know? Yeah, for sure. And even, and I wonder if this is something that is because of who we are, right? We're both immigrants, right? So mm. when we, when we, like when I was in my 20s, I was so far away from home. I had so little money. I had a commitment to get an education that I had made to my parents and myself. And I just, I was just trying to find my feet. And so much of it was also nerves that, oh my God, what if I fail? Oh my God, what if I don't, I don't do what I set out to do, what I told them I would do. And so you tend to be less riskier when you are trying to figure out where your next meal is coming from. In some cases, it is very literal. I had an assistantship of 500 bucks or 600 bucks. I had to pay the rent. I had to buy all my supplies. I had to eat, feed myself. I remember getting a shitty old bike from a student that I I paid like 40 bucks thinking, oh my God, that's 40 bucks. How am I going to afford it? But that was what I had to get from where I was living off campus to campus. So much of it is also those fears that we have that we don't want to mess up. And so Mm -hmm. we take the paths of least resistance just to keep going. And as we age and as we mature, like you said, um, as we have a little bit more confidence in who we are, we want to take those risks. and We want to say, heck, you know what? I'm going to walk out without a coat. It's just, you know, it wouldn't be the smartest decision, but let's see what happens. But I will own it. Exactly. So I think some of that daredevil attitude also comes from just life experiences. And like you said, age. I actually want to also unpack a little bit what you said about the dilemma, or I guess the predicament that, as you so well said, many immigrants find themselves in, because this is a very real thing, right? We immigrants, we have this often unspoken agreement with our families that by coming to America, we will follow the path yeah, and we will make it here no matter what in the most traditional sense of the word. And when some of us become crazy enough to step out of that path, that traditional path, for Specifically for the immigrant population, it's wrought with perhaps more challenges than for others because of that unspoken commitment that we have made to our families. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's just, and it never goes away. I, I know in the intro you said I'm a photographer, like I'm a photographer, but that's not what my career path has been, right? I, I had these degrees, I worked in corporate for almost 15 years. And then for me to get up and shift a whole 180 and start down a path of being a creative and being a photographer was insane. I, yes. I, I had, I, <laughs> I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I know what I was feeling. I know what my sort of internal thought process was, but 
my my mom, my family, they freaked out. And you know, it was like, wait, what? You have a six-figure salary. You have been in corporate for so long. You're ready to become a senior level, you know, senior manager, whatever, get get onto the senior level. Why are you quitting? And what is this photography? And where is this coming from? And so it was just, it was crazy. And it was something that took a while. Even though it was clear in my head, it took a while for me to articulate what that was going to look like. And it took a while for me to share even with my with my mom because I was so scared that she would, you know, kind of be upset because this is not what she envisioned for me. Yes, yes. Gosh, there's so many questions I want to ask you about this. So many. You know, first of all, you started or you, you actually went on that traditional path, let's call it, for quite some time. After your MBA, you were you mentioned that you were working in corporate, as I was. We have a lot of related threads in our stories. So tell us a little bit about the moment where you realized, uh, as you're sitting in that corporate office, you know what? I'm just going to burn this whole thing <laughs> <laughs> and say, pick up the camera, and this is who I am now. Was yeah. there like a moment, or was it more gradual realization for you? There were a series of moments. I'm probably a little bit of a oddball in that. I actually really loved what I did. I was in marketing. I was working for Citibank, which was one of my dream companies. Don't ask me why, but one of my dream companies when I was growing up and when I was in school, I wanted to work for a bank. Again, don't ask me why, I wanted to work for a bank. So for me to get a job at Citibank right out of my MBA was like a dream come true. And mm-hmm. I really I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed the people I worked with. I enjoyed very much the work that I did. But I think somewhere along the line, there was always this thing of me versus them, us versus them. That's a whole nother discussion. We won't go there. But it, it just I just felt a lot of instances where who I was, the color of my skin, where I come from, was held um, a little bit against me. And I changed managers and I got pretty crappy performance reviews, even though I had been doing the same job for almost four years. So I knew the ins and outs of that job, like the back of my head. And then to get a performance review that said it was a learning experience really kind of pulled me down. Um, so there was that, that going, which probably wouldn't have by itself pushed me to quit. But I was also doing photography. I had picked up a camera when my kids were born as a way for me to connect with my family and share sort of these moments because the whole digital digital cameras were just getting started. So it was, you know, with the click of a button, download the picture and instantly it can, can be shared. So that was very interesting for me. And uh, I was getting to exercise a part of my brain that I hadn't before. I wasn't I wasn't creative in that traditional sense where I couldn't draw, I couldn't paint, I couldn't color, I, I hated cooking, and so I still do. <laughs> <laughs> but it, so none of those traditionally creative things were me. But when I picked up the camera, it was like some part of my brain shifted, and I really enjoyed that. So that was the other thing that was going, you know, for me in in this whole move. And lastly, my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer as well. And so that was a big blow for my sister and I. She had just um, gone through her chemo and she was finally out of the woods and then boom, my mom gets diagnosed. She was not enough in the state of uh, mind or you know phys- physical capabilities to take care of my mom. I decided that I would go. Um, so all these things, it just seemed like one after the other was pointing to a shift, Mm -hmm. was pointing for me to 
take that leap of faith and just go. And so that's essentially what I did. I, I stepped away for over a month and a half after I quit. In fact, the day I quit, the next day I flew out to, to India to be with my mom for about a month. And that's where I started having these discussions with my mom that, you know, hey, I want to quit. I want to try this whole new thing called entrepreneurship uh, and see where that takes me. And the weird part of it is we don't have any entrepreneurs in my family. And I'm talking about my family, my immediate family, my extended family, no one. So of course, my mom is freaking out in between her chemo sessions that how are you going to support yourself? What are you going to do? Do you know this business side of everything? What is this photography? You don't have a degree in it. <laughs> so all these questions. And I was like, hey, you know what? I have an MBA. Maybe I should put it to, to good use and, and try to, you know, run this business. And if it doesn't work out, sure, it doesn't work out. At least I tried. So I think that's again, goes back to that, uh, what we were talking about earlier, a little bit of that confidence and that sort of daredevil attitude that, you know what, try it. If it doesn't work, you can always go back to what you were doing before. Absolutely. And I think for me also, what I, what I heard is that, or actually what I think about this process, because it's based on my experience as well of quitting and, and doing a 180 in, in one's life, that process of drastically changing your environment as you went back to India. And even though that was an environment that was familiar for you, still, as you were trying to figure out what's next for you, you shifted, you changed environments, and you were in a close consult with someone who you trust, someone who, who you respect, which is your mother. And, and that, I think, also has probably helped you to, to step into this path more confidently. And you mentioned that you didn't really have any women in your family or any anybody in your family who was in this field of entrepreneurship. So I'm curious, as you were starting on this new path, did you see any woman out there, not in your family necessarily, but just in your surrounding, who was doing something similar or who was trying to find the path, the new path as well? And if so, like, how did that help you? Did you notice something special about them or kind of helped you figure out what, what it could look like? Sure. Yes and no. The first, I think the first year and a half was just me floundering and trying to figure things out. Yes, there were a lot of other women photographers, but I found very few immigrant, rather Indian immigrant photographers, women in my sphere of influence. And I'm not talking about somewhere in, out in another part of the country. I'm talking about where I live. So it was, it, some of it was not totally relatable. And then sometimes uh, as business owners, and, and I don't know if it's more women, but sometimes as business owners, we feel like we feel, we almost feel threatened that what if I also connect with another photographer and what if I share some of my ideas and they steal it? So we tend to hold on to our ideas, hold on to this mindset that I'm the best of the best and I shouldn't share, encourage or lean on somebody else who's done this before. That quickly changed for me because again, I had nobody to ask these questions. And I was looking for groups or, you know, other women who were, who were in this entrepreneurial space uh, who could guide me and just talk to me about some, sometimes it was just tactical things, right? How do I register my business? How do I, how do I set up the tax ID and things like that? Or, how, you know, should I be an LLC or should I be a C-Corp? What does that look like? And sometimes it was just like, oh my God, how do I get clients? How do I market? What you learn in school, in, in business school, in the classroom environment is so very different from what you experience when you are 
in life, in a real life situation. So I, I found groups, I found one amazing group, it's called Women Entrepreneurs Secrets of Success, and they're still existing today. And it was a small group of a bunch of women who would just meet for breakfast on a Friday morning or a Thursday morning, and just share what they were doing, who they were, and just as a way to make friends in this entrepreneurial sphere. It wasn't about getting business from each other. It was more about getting to know each other as women so we could support one another. I think that was one of the best, best decisions I made to open up that email because I have some incredible friends from that group. We've supported each other. A lot of them have become clients in some way, shape or form. And it's just great to know that that community exists. And I'm talking about a few years back. And so now you obviously have more things, more resources, things like what you're doing, right, with the circle where you have this space um, where you can come be yourself and you you will not be judged. You will be supported irrespective Mm -hmm. of what your industry is. So I, I, I feel like that concept is catching on. And as women, we are we are even opening ourselves up to make friends you know, you know how difficult it is once you grow up and to make any sort of friends and even girlfriends. It's yes. really hard. And that also now you take it uh, up a notch where it's like a business relationship. Mm-hmm. But then you realize that it shouldn't be a business relationship. It should be a friend's relationship because people will always do business and, and buy and, and support people that they like and trust and, and know. There are two things that I want to pull out of that. One is what you said about women and business owners in general being afraid to share, to exchange ideas and feeling they have to kind of stick it out on their own because others will steal their ideas. I'm doing some work right now on anti-oppression and this feeling of scarcity and that we are alone and we cannot share and that there is not enough resources for everyone and that there is not enough ideas. So I have to hold my idea close to me. Yeah. That's one way that oppression manifests itself in society. And so when we're retraining ourselves to think differently, to think abundantly, to recognize that sharing resources, sharing ideas is an active form of uh, anti-oppression, it's just, I'm getting goosebumps when I think about it because I've, I've definitely been there and I've definitely felt that way. Oh my God, somebody's going to steal my idea or some, you know, I'm competing with all these other women out there and recognizing that it's not even so much that you are thinking that it's a way society puts these oppression systems around you to keep you thinking that way. Yeah. And, and then fighting against that. I think that's incredibly important. And then the other thing that you said which is something that is a word that is being so used so much that it's almost starting to lose its meaning. Our eyes are kind of glazing over when we hear the word community. Mm. But man, how important that word is and how important it's almost to me, actually, based on my experience and based on all of the stories that I'm hearing so far on this podcast is that Having that uh, structure and that support of people who get what you're trying to do and why is almost like a make or break situation, meaning that you are that much more likely to stick through this difficult journey when you have that support and you have that community. 
but we don't recognize it for some I think a lot of us are still in that mode of I I have to prove it that I can do yes. it alone. Yes. And some of that is is just cultural, some of that is your upbringing, and some of this just, that is just influences that you've you've had around you, right? I mean, I like I said I was growing up I had all these friends and I had all these people around me, but when I was in some of my more sort of influential years, I was a loner. I would do things by myself. I had my head down to the ground and I would just churn, churn, churn and be done with my my own stuff. And so, you know, initially when I'd started, I was, I found myself so very alone that my husband had no idea. And, and I would just talk to him and I'd be like, I have all these questions for him. And he would be like, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I don't have the time to research this with you. You'll have to figure this out. And so then when I found this this circle, this community, it was a non-judgmental place. Mm-hmm. And I think I really appreciated that because, I mean, my questions were stupid. Some of my questions were so stupid. I had I had clients even before I knew how to properly work my camera. And so I had my camera on the automatic setting and I would take pictures and then I would ask questions on wait, how do I edit this? How do I change this? And, you know, so it was it was just so much. And that, again, manifested itself in terms of fear of, oh my God, you know, I'm being such a fake. I'm putting professional photographer and I don't even know how to operate my own camera. Right. <laughs> and so- Why are people paying me for this? Exactly. Story? Why are people paying me? And then, and these are all valid questions. And it just, it's not just something photographers ask. It's something every business owner asks. You, you go to a restaurant and you're like, okay, why am I, why are people coming and eating at my restaurant when I don't even know how to cook? So <laughs> you just replace those keywords right. and it, it's applicable to every entrepreneur who starts. And the other thing is like, you know, yes, this community word is is thrown out there so much. But I think what we have to realize is that community doesn't always mean a horde of people. Sometimes your community can be just one other person and that person has your back. And so it's just how we think about the word versus how we what perception we have of that word. And it might be different for different people. Um, but you're so right in that we have to learn that there is no reason why we need to do this alone. And it's easier said than done. I trust yes, me. Yes. We've had, you and I have had conversations where <laughs> yes, <it's>, we have. <laughs> it's, I'm just, I'm not following that logic at all. But for the most part, I think it's a great way to pivot yourself back from the deep end to know that somebody out there has your back and somebody out there is willing to do what it takes to help you. And whether that's one person, five people, 20 people, it doesn't matter um, as long as in your head that you have that resource. Absolutely. And, and I think especially for paths like this, right, the creative paths, the paths that are wrought with so much uncertainty and so much of trying to figure it out as you go where the rules aren't clear. Yeah. There isn't a corporation behind you to fall back on. Uh, there isn't the salary behind you <laughs> to, yeah. to fall back on. It's just so, so important. And I, I want to talk a little bit about the challenges on this path, right? Because I think that a lot of time we hear this, you know, she's a photographer, she's an entrepreneur, And it's very aspirational and it's amazing. But I also want to give space to the challenges, which are many. (laughs) 
So for me, the biggest challenge that I still face sometimes today, although I'm, I feel I'm getting better at it, is the challenge of self-worth. Mm. Um, because I did not, I don't have a degree in photography because I didn't study it in a formal setting. And beca- and, and because we on, need in our system of oppression, we need those we need formal... That, yes, that justification, right? We, we, in our minds, we tell ourselves, oh, we wouldn't go to a doctor unless they had a degree. Why would we go to a photographer unless they have yes. qualifications? Yes. But sometimes that does, is, doesn't quite apply. And you know, the more I think about it, the more I feel like maybe I would just ask my grandma for how to make this headache disappear rather than popping in aspirin. Maybe she, even though she's not a doctor, she really knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's just this whole concept of not being good enough. And I think that's what I struggled with initially. Am I good enough? I would, I would not put my work out there. I would not promote myself. I would not call myself a professional photographer. I would say, oh, I'm in between jobs. Yes. Or I'm staying home with the kids for a while. And once I slowly started feeling more confident, and I think learning my craft, understanding that, yes, I do have a creative eye. I do see things a little differently than the average person does. And I capture that. And my work doesn't have to please everybody under the sun. I just need X number of clients uh, who love what I do, who love what I do for who I am. Mm-hmm. to make it profitable. And I think once I started getting those semantics right in my head, I started telling everybody, what do you do? Oh, I'm a photographer. Yeah, I'm a professional photographer. I do this and this. And now I say, I'm a podcaster. I have a podcast. So it's like, you know, being more comfortable in your skill and your skin <laughs> to confidently say who you are and what you do. So for me, that was the biggest challenge that I had coming from my background of completely techy, geeky stuff to this uh, field where there's no such thing as a bad photograph. Everything mm. is art. <laughs> it just depends on who sees it. Absolutely. And I think it's, I, I, I just love, I, I love what you said so much because this is an issue that. Again, in my experience and in my conversation with other women, so many of us experience this, this this self-doubt, this feeling that we're not good enough for any kind of, I guess, work that's outside of the norm, you know? Uh, For me, it's always also the question in my head has been, who are you to pursue this frivolous journey (laughs) of creativity, of expression? of freedom who are you to do that you know who gave you the right yeah gosh so many issues that are bubbling up on the surface when you're stepping into this path bravely for sure and you know i i have kids so i have two uh, impressionable minds that um, i interact with on a day-to-day basis and so for me i'm also trying to make sure that what i'm feeling and what thoughts i'm communicating are having the right effect on them because I don't want them to feel like if my son loves sports and if he wants to do have a career in sports, I don't want him to feel like he's not good enough. Mm-hmm. My daughter loves art and so she's doing a lot of creative artwork and I don't want her to feel like, so what if it's not the caliber of going on into a gallery? That doesn't mean it's bad. So I, I think, again, the whole thing that we talked about earlier, as you age... <laughs> 
<laughs> you you mature a little bit, perhaps. <laughs> and so it's also that is playing in my head that I have to be very conscious of um, my thoughts and how I project those thoughts to my kids because I don't want them to feel like they're not good enough to do whatever they want to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Gosh, I, I feel like that is also... It's, this could be a, a whole other episode <laughs> on its own, this conversation. Um, but I want to move into what you're doing now, because mm-hmm. what you're working on right now is something super exciting. And I know you've been building this platform for, for some time. And so I want, you to, I want you to tell us and to share with us what kind of what lights you up in this moment and the Culturally Ours platform and what are you excited about COVID notwithstanding, because of course, this is a difficult moment for all of us. Right. But just wondering if if there is some joy that you're finding in the work that you're doing right now as well. Sure. Um, So like you mentioned, Culturally Ours is something that I started a couple of years ago, and you've been on the podcast as well. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, Culturally Ours has been a, a wonderful expression of who I am, Uh, where I come from, my past, my present, and where my life is headed. So it's an amalgamation of stories from people all around the world as they do life. So we talk about art, we talk about food, we talk about culture, travel, lifestyle. It's just as a way for us to connect with each other on a very personal, intimate level. So it's personal perspectives, personal narratives, personal opinions, because a lot of times, you know, I would feel like I wouldn't say what I truly felt because I was afraid. Mm. And in that fear, I wouldn't say anything. And Mm. I feel like a lot of us are like that. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to say something um, that might offend somebody. So we don't say anything. And, And sometimes that makes the other person feel even more alone, even more isolated. So we have all these beautiful cultures all around us, all over the world. And so let's create this space where we can share all those cultures mm-hmm. in a very a very touchy-feely sort of a way. So that's what Culturally Ours is. It's a platform, like you said, where uh, we share these stories. We have blog posts. There is the podcast of the same name, where again, we interview people like yourself and other people around the world, and where they talk about different topics. And then we also have travel retreats that we do where we take these immersive experiences so they can really understand a culture, really understand the people. It's not about checking things off this this proverbial bucket list that everybody has, but it's actually going deep down and engaging with communities. And so obviously now with COVID, that's on hold. Hopefully 2021, 2022, that picks up. But still, I think it's just the responses have so far been, been great. And it's been Something that motivates me, like you said, what lights you up. That's what lights me up every day when I get to talk to people, when I get to connect with somebody in Japan and they talk about this uh, incredible festival that they are having. And then I realize that, hey, you know what? Something very similar is happening in Peru or something very similar is happening in India. So we really are, we're all the same. We, We have the same goals. We have the same aspirations. We have the same things that we want out of life. Sure, the external package might be a little different, you know, in terms of the way we look or the way we dress or the way we speak. But deep down, we're all the same and we're all connected in some way. So that's what Culturally Oz does. It creates that connection. 
Yes. And for our listeners, go and check out Culturally Ours. It's an amazing platform with wonderful stories. And if you love to travel like I do and like Kartika does, then you will appreciate it um, so much. And I also want to say that I, I, I hope I get to be in one of the retreats that you put together, yes. Kartika. <laughs> We've been talking about it for so long now. I Hopefully know. Soon. I know. Amazing. So tell me if you were able to write a letter to Kartika when she was just starting out on this creative path, what would you tell her? Oh, um, I would, um, I would say stick it out. All things happen for a reason. And if it's meant to happen, it will happen. I know I do. I tend to talk a lot in quotes. Maybe it's the mother in me. Uh, but I, I, I have been known to kind of, you know, throw these quotes at my kids and they'll just roll their eyes. And I'm like, don't roll your eyes. It's, you know, there's a lot of depth and meaning to this. But it's just, it's true. And be being fearless and trust, trust in the universe. I think that's my biggest thing, that trust that there is something or some higher power, or some something, some energy out there that is looking out for you. Mm. And so no matter what, things will get better. There is light at the end of the tunnel. I told you I talk in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I tell myself this all the time. And I do, I do go down. We've all dealt with COVID for the past six months in, in a variety of different ways. And some of us, you know, have had it harder than the others. But at the end of the day, it will get better. Things may not look like how they did or how you envisioned it to look like, but maybe that's okay. So that's for the that's for the better. It it the outcome will be better than what you anticipated as long as you put in the work. You do the work, you, um, you know, you're, you're telling yourself that every day when you get up, you will do one, two, three, whatever that number is, X things towards your goal and you keep moving, success will eventually get to you. And, you know, I, I do want to preface this by saying that sometimes it's easier because I do have a spouse and I have a spouse who's working. So some of it is also for me that I have a little bit of that security that at the end of the day, Anuj will have food on the table. So I can take some of these risks. And I know that's not always the case with everybody. So I do want to preface, you know, as much as I like all my quotes and things like that, they may not apply to everybody. But the point is that keep at it, keep at it, find ways to make it work. If it's truly your passion, then you know, find ways to make it work and it'll work. Yes, and I, I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. And I think for me, I have this unwavering belief that if you put in the work and if you advance and take a little steps towards your dream vision mm. every day, little by little, it will come and it will just be then a matter of time, you know, yeah. as long as you keep progressing. Yeah. And if you don't take steps, then it will not materialize. And to me, that's just like physics <laughs> in yeah. a way. Yeah, isn't it? Like an, an object in motion stays in motion. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so it's just uh, like finding that, whatever that looks like for you, right? Finding that uh, structure, I guess, that allows you to keep going. And yeah. it looks different for all of us. Yeah. It, it Maybe it means that you quit core. Like for me, it meant quitting the corporate job, which sucked up all my time and energy. Yeah. 
finding jobs in between that could still allow me to put food on the table while I focus on building the dream, right? Like there's so many different ways to shape that, but whatever that structure is that allows you to keep taking those steps to find that and to keep going. And, you know, you don't have to fit somebody else's timetable. Having a successful business could mean a 10-year run or it could mean a one-year run. It doesn't matter as long as you are achieving and moving towards what you want it to look like. And and it will change. I mean, my business now looks nothing like what it did when I first started. But that's okay because along the way, I learned what works. I learned what, for me, I learned what work does not work for me. I learned where I want to invest my time. I, I quickly learned that I did not want to give up my summer weekends photographing weddings, even though they bring in a lot more money mm-hmm. because a mom role was a little bit more priority than that. So, right. and those those decisions switched through the years, right? So it's it just it looks different for everybody, and I think that's the beauty of it that nobody there's no there's there's only one you. <laughs> it's just you are unique, and so your journey has to be unique. Absolutely, and I think that's actually a great segue into our closing question which I always uh, end with. And it's a big question, but um, how would you start thinking about it? What does it mean to be a woman who is stepping into her brilliance today? Ooh, that is a big one. (laughs) Gosh, for me, I, I go back to my mom. She is the epitome of a woman stepping into her brilliance throughout her life. It wasn't just one moment. So it wasn't just when she got married. It wasn't just when she had a baby. It wasn't when she went back to school and became a teacher. Uh, it wasn't when she had me. It wasn't when she lost my dad. It it was uh, so many things. And I think how you, how you face challenges is how you step into your brilliance. Mm. And it can look differently based on each of those challenges. I've seen my mom ecstatic when she got to teach in a different country. That was one of her goals to, um, you know, not just teach in India, but also teach in a different country. And she actually did. She was a teacher in Malaysia for several years. She went very high, almost to the next level to an assistant principal in an international school. So I saw her stepping into her brilliance there. I saw her stepping into her brilliance when she got diagnosed and she actually sent my sister and me an email telling us that she had been diagnosed because she thought we would freak out when if we, she was to tell us on the phone. I think that took incredible courage and she's really stepped into her brilliance in my mind there at the way she handled it. So for me, whenever I find these moments where I'm forced to step outside my comfort zone to maybe what is what is my brilliance. Um, I try to lean on how she would react. Right? She would. She took everything in her stride and made the most of it. And I feel like that's how I want to emulate. That's how I would tell somebody. And I tell this to my daughter too. Um, she's on the swim team, and when she didn't make varsity, I was like, "It's all right. There, you can step into the junior varsity." space and do the best you can just be confident and know that you have what it takes to be successful 
I think this is a great advice for anyone looking to do anything with their lives, right? Take it in stride and do the best you can. Yeah. And that's really all we can ask for. There's not there's nothing else you can do. You can moan and bitch and scream and talk about how unfair it is and all of that stuff, but it is what it is. And uh, you know, is was it absolutely unfair that my mom got diagnosed just when we were coming out of the throngs of my sister's diagnosis? Absolutely. I could have kicked and screamed. I mean, I did. I did kick and scream and cry and everything, and I'm sure she did as well. But at some point you pick yourself up and you say, "Okay, what is my next step? What can I do to keep going forward? And sometimes it is as simple as that. And you find the courage, you find um, the confidence, you find the tenacity to say, hell with it. I'm going to do this. (laughs) Kartika, thank you so much for this uh, wonderful interview. Thank you, Yulia. It was such a pleasure. I hope I didn't ramble on too much. But thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really very excited to see what everything the circle has to offer. And I think it's brilliant that you're creating a space where, again, women can come together and just shine and, and be who they are to the best of their abilities. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, my dear. Hey, thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found this episode helpful. And if so, please consider subscribing to our show so you never miss an episode. If you're a new listener here, thank you so much for checking out the show. And don't forget, you can find all the resources, links, and show notes over at GeniusWomen.com. That's women with an X. So if there was something you wanted to check out, you can always, always find it over at GeniusWomen.com. That's women spelled as W-O-M-X-N. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week where we have a conversation with Kadiha Farah, a travel and documentary photographer carving her creative path in Nairobi, Kenya.